Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. We're coming to the end of our series in Leviticus today. Uh, to really cover the final chapters, we probably needed an extra month, but we're finishing today. That's all right. In this series, we've been reminded that God is holy. He's different, distinct, powerful, perfect. He's gracious and great. God is holy. And we've learned that although his holiness is good, it's a problem for us who, in and of ourselves, are not holy. It's like being too close to the sun. And so there's a distance, a barrier between us and God unless we can somehow become holy too. And that's what Leviticus is about. How the Israelites learned to be God's holy people and maintain a relationship with him. We are not Israel. And Leviticus wasn't first written for us. But there's still principles and wisdom for us about being God's holy people. Last week, we saw how comprehensively the Israelites were supposed to think about their personal holiness. It should impact every aspect of their lives. And our youth minister, John Batten, preached, and he quoted from this scholar that I never actually caught the name of, but it was a really good quote. He said, God's holiness for the Israelites should extend from the corner of their beards to the corner of their fields, because they, had to, they couldn't trim the corner of their beards and they couldn't harvest the corner of their fields. That's how all-inclusive holiness was supposed to be. It was three-dimensional. It's extending in every direction. But then we come to this passage tonight and we find out that God's holiness extends in another direction still, like in another dimension still. We find out that God's holiness should impact how we think about our time. So I'm going to pray and we'll jump into it. Oh God, it's easy for some books like Leviticus to just feel like dry words on a page and a bunch of details that are so foreign to us. But we pray that again you'd show us your heart desire for relationship and we'd be amazed that you want relationship with us. Amen. Discussion question for you. Talk to the person next to you, behind you, somewhere nearby. What's the most important thing coming up in your schedule? Or, or both, what's the most trivial thing coming up that you have taken the time to schedule? Or, what's the schedule? Go for it. (laughs) All right, I'll cut you off there. Obviously, I didn't get to overhear all those conversations. But I suspect that you found it's a lot easier to think of the important things we schedule rather than the trivial things we schedule, right? Because why would we bother scheduling the trivial things? Schedules. Calendars are for prioritizing what's most important. Last week, our staff team spent Monday and Tuesday planning what 2024 might look like at St. Matt's. And this photo captures for me my favorite moment out of this 16 hours of meeting. It's actually a really nice time. They're a great team. Uh, Favorite moment. This was when 
our conversations and our, our brainstorms and our ideas and our dreaming sessions turned into concrete commitments. This was when ideas became plans. This was when things went into the calendar. If it's important, it goes in the calendar. If it's important, it goes in the calendar. Or maybe another way to think about that is to reverse it. Once it's in the calendar, it's important. Take Anzac Day, for example. When's Anzac Day? How did you all know that? Because it's in the calendar every year, right? Like it just drives it home for a We know when Anzac Day is, April 25th. And what do we always say on Anzac Day? Lest we forget. Australia wants to be a nation that remembers and honors the sacrifice of people who have fought to defend our nation. And so we have a public holiday. We put it in the calendar to make sure we remember, lest we forget. That's the power of a big calendar event. It reveals what is important to us. And over time, it keeps reinforcing what should be important for us. School terms, public holidays, seasons, weekends, things like that, they all reflect and reinforce for us what's important. But what if God was to shape your calendar? What might it look like then? That's what we get to see in Leviticus 23 and 25. We see God shaping the Israelite calendar, the the Israelite sense of time, to reveal to them and reinforce for them what's most important. It begins like this. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Here are the festivals the sacred assemblies, the the public holy days for Israel. I want to quickly run through each of these holy days to see how God shapes the Israelite calendar to communicate to them what's important. But the first one is a bit different. It's not an annual holy day. It's a weekly one. It's called the Sabbath. There are six days when you may work. But the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. We know days and nights because the rising and the setting of the sun marks day and night for us. And the cycles of the moon create calendars for the Jewish people that create the monthly calendar. The solar calendar with its corresponding season, marks a year. But God also directed the Israelites to group together days into collections. Group them into collections of seven, what we now call weeks. And this collection of seven echoes Genesis 1 and 2, where for the first six days, God creates. And then on the seventh day, God takes a rest from his very good work of creating. And now for the Israelites, the, the seventh day, the last day of every week, is a Sabbath. The word Sabbath literally means a rest. The seventh day is a ceasing from work, a day that belongs to the Lord and helps the Israelites reconnect with him. Leviticus 23 doesn't really elaborate much on the Sabbath beyond this. But from here and from some other passages, we know that this day is for, number one, resting, so that we don't work endlessly. It's a break. It's It's a gift. But not working every day can be threatening for some people. And so, number two, the Sabbath is also for remembering God. Remembering that He provides. 
acknowledging him and trusting in him more than our own labor. It belongs to the Lord. Number three, it's a day for gratitude to God. It's a day for thanksgiving. It's a day for rejoicing. The Sabbath wasn't supposed to be a sad, dour, boring affair. It's celebratory. It's for rejoicing. Number four, it's a day when the Israelites are supposed to gather together. It's called a day of sacred assembly. Assemble, gather. So it's a day for especially relating to others who are also intentionally resting, remembering, and rejoicing in God. Now, I've preached on Sabbath in more detail uh, at other times, and I've mentioned those four purposes of Sabbath before. Resting, remembering, rejoicing, relating. But Leviticus 23 highlights a different purpose of Sabbath that I'd missed previously. might sound pretty obvious, but hopefully as we go through Leviticus 23, it'll become even more clear. Number five, the Sabbath is also for resetting. It's for resetting. The Sabbath, it doesn't take place in the middle of the week. Sabbath happens at the end of the week. And what comes next is a new week. Sabbath makes the way for a fresh start. The festivals that follow are annual events, not weekly events. And we get six of them, which when we add the Sabbath makes seven festivals. But the themes of Sabbath, resting, remembering, relating, rejoicing, resetting, these are all present in the following festivals in different ways. First, we have three springtime festivals. In the first month, on the 14th day, we have Passover. And the day after Passover and for seven days, we have the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And those two get rolled together into one eight-day festival. This festival helps the Israelites remember God rescuing them from Egypt as they reenact events from the Exodus. Next is the offering of first fruits. This festival takes place the day after the first Sabbath, when the first fruits and crops are ready for harvest. So when harvest season is just beginning and the first crops are ready for harvesting, they have the festival of first fruits and the first bit of the harvest is brought to God. The festival starts only once Israel live in the promised land and helps the Israelites remember that the land God has given them ultimately still belongs to him. And every blessing from the land is a good gift from him. The next festival takes place once seven weeks have passed. After seven weeks, on the 50th day, so seven times seven is 49, then 50, cool, is the festival of weeks, or what you might know from the New Testament as Pentecost, Pente meaning 50. Again, there's resting, there's remembering, there's relating, and especially rejoicing as they give thanks to God for the full harvest now. In the second half of the year, there's three more festivals, all taking place in the seventh month. On the first day of the seventh month is the Festival of Trumpets. And we're told like nothing about this festival. And so I'm not entirely clear what it's for. But later on, Israelites start celebrating the Festival of Trumpets to remember God coming down on Mount Sinai. If you were here for the beginning of this series, we looked at Exodus 19, where God comes in smoke and thunder and lightning and the blast of a trumpet. And so now the Israelites celebrate this festival to remember that God came into their midst. On the tenth day of the seventh month, we have the Day of Atonement, which Ron preached on two weeks ago. Now, of all the festivals, this one wasn't for rejoicing. Very different vibe. But it was still for gratitude. It was a reset day. 
On this day, the high priest completed a ritual so that all the sins Israel had committed over the past year could be forgiven. They could get a clean slate, a fresh start, a spiritual reset. Then five days later was the seven-day-long festival of tabernacles. A tabernacle is a tent. The Israelites were to build little tents out of the branches from luxuriant trees. I love that that's specified. They were supposed to pick extra green, beautiful foliage. And then they'd live in these luscious green tents for a week. It was like a week-long camping holiday full of rejoicing put in the calendar to invite the Israelites to celebrate as they remember God as their rescuer and the one who provided for them while they lived in tents in the wilderness before they made it to the promised land. Now, that's the Israelite calendar. But let's jump to Leviticus 25 for a moment because God isn't done organizing the way the Israelites think about time. In Australia, when we group years together, we might talk about like a five-year plan, so we think in fives. Or we might talk about decades, so we think in terms of tens. But God groups even their years into sevens and tells Israel that every seventh year, the land needs a rest. The land needs a Sabbath. The land needs a chance to reset. And so they aren't to sow seeds or prune their vineyards. And they're not supposed to have an organized harvest during this year. Farmers all over the world know the importance of letting a field lie fallow, of giving fields a rest. But God wants the Israelites to do it as a Sabbath year to remember the Lord, to remember him, because their fields and even their years belong to him. But God still isn't done shaping how they think about time. There's one more. Chapter 25, verse 8. Count out seven Sabbath years. Seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpets sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the fiftieth year, mark it as holy, and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. After the seventh Sabbath year comes a year of like super rest. Any Israelite who's in slavery at this time has to be set free. At the 50th year, everyone is set free. A reset. And in the 50th year, property rights returned to the Israelites as they were originally allocated when Israel took the promised land. So you couldn't actually really buy someone else's land. You could only lease it from them for however many years before the 50th year came around again. Like the release from slavery, this guaranteed that there was something of an economic reset to prevent generational poverty and debt. And when you look at the intricacy of of this way God shapes the Israelite sense of time, I think it's amazing. He divides their weeks. He gives them the concept of weeks and gives them Sabbath rests. They have years punctuated by these holy day festivals. And he even groups years into sevens and seven sevens to continue to reflect and reinforce to the Israelites what's important. A relationship with him. Their schedule teaches them to rest in him, remember him, rejoice in him, relate to others through him, and that through him they can reset. 
they can have a fresh start. But what does all this mean for us? Are we supposed to keep the festivals too? Are we required to have a Sabbath every week? No, not required, no. We've stressed throughout this series that Leviticus wasn't first written for us. It was first written for ancient Israel. We're not bound by the commandments in Leviticus because we don't relate to God through the old covenant law. We have what's called a new covenant, a new agreement relationship with God through Jesus. Paul, the Apostle Paul, puts it like this in Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The festivals were temporary practices, temporary rituals that pointed Israel forwards to a better reality, a better rest, a better relationship with God. They pointed to Jesus. Jesus, who died at the Passover as our Passover lamb. Jesus, who rose from the dead as the first fruits of a new life we could also share in. Jesus, whose spirit was poured out abundantly on his people at the festival of weeks when the abundance of God was celebrated. Jesus, whose birth was a greater coming of God than the events celebrated at the festival of trumpets. Jesus, whose self-sacrifice made a once-for-all lasting atonement for sins, removing the need to ever again practice the Day of Atonement. Jesus, who tabernacled with us, demonstrating a greater provision from God than was ever celebrated at the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't need these specific festivals because we have Jesus. But before we disregard these chapters, remember, there's wisdom here for us. There are principles here for us. Leviticus 23 and 25 taught the Israelites that the whole duration of their lives belonged to the Lord who loves them and takes care of them. And it teaches us similarly. Every decade, every year, every month, every week, every day, every hour that we live belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us. I love how the way the song in Christ Alone puts it, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Or if you want to pick an older song, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need thee. These chapters in Leviticus remind us that all of our time belongs to Jesus because we belong to him as his beloved people. But these chapters also show us the power of structuring time to reinforce this truth. If it's important, it goes in the calendar. And it's so easy for Jesus to just kind of get squeezed to the edges of our calendar, right? To get pushed to the edge of the schedule. And in a fast-paced life full of urgent thing after urgent thing, that might be understandable. But 
A calendar that squeezes Jesus to the edges is a calendar that reinforces for us that he's just not that important. And so I wonder, how could you adjust your schedule? How could you approach your calendar to encourage Jesus-centered, resting, remembering, rejoicing, relating and resetting that will allow your relationship with him to flourish? I was running through with my wife Emily yesterday what I wanted to like, put out as a challenge for you guys and she's like, that sounds like a 12-month plan. So, I'm showing some restraint. Actually, I thought I might go rogue here and just say what I wanted to say, but I'll, no, I will show some restraint. But I want to run. All right. We don't need to overcomplicate this. I think there's great wisdom in keeping a weekly Sabbath. We're not required to do it, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in having a rest day built into our weeks in coming to church every week to be with God's people and to be reminded, in belonging to a weekly Bible study group. I think there's huge wisdom in celebrating Advent and Christmas, Lent and Easter. And specifically at St. Matt's, I think it's really worthwhile coming along on Vision Sunday in particular to hear our plans for the new year and our hopes for the church for the new year and to be a part of St. Matt's during Thanksgiving season where we celebrate what we've seen God do in us and for us and through us over the past 12 months. Those are some great steps. But, if you're up for it, I really don't think it would be a waste of time to review your weekly schedule and reflect on your calendar. How could you calendarize resting and resetting? Not an exhausted crashing on the couch and mindlessly scrolling and streaming at the same time, but life-giving rest that acknowledges and trusts in God. How could you build resting into your weekly rhythm? What events in the year could mark for you that in Jesus you always have a spiritual reset? How could you calendarize remembering and rejoicing in God? What are habits... You can schedule that will point you to him and deepen your trust in him. How could you calendarize relating to God's people? How could you make sure that they don't get inconsistent attention but remain a priority as people that also acknowledge that from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands our destiny? In the first week in the series, we talked about how Leviticus points us to the big story of the Bible. That our holy God is seeking a people for a relationship with himself. And I hope that's been echoed through Leviticus again and again each week, but see it one last time here. Even in how he arranges the calendar, God is structuring time for the Israelites to reinforce for them the relationship they get to have with him. If it's important, it goes in the calendar. So how does Jesus appear in yours? Let's pray. Lord God, we need you so badly. We need your son Jesus so badly, but it's so easy to just get distracted and forget him and push him to the side. Lord, thank you so much that you love us anyway. You put up with our forgetfulness. 
but you also give us wisdom to show us how we can remember him better. And so we pray that you would make us a people that better and better know how to rest, remember, rejoice, relate, and reset in him. We pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen. Please stand. We're going to keep on singing. Uh, We're going to be singing about God's holiness as we've been learning throughout Leviticus. So I'd encourage you to reflect on the words of the song as you sing it uh, and to sing joyfully as well. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website 
at stmats.org.au. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.